0: Good morning. Welcome to the first sermon in our series in Philippians. We're going to be unpacking this letter over the next term, and there are going to be questions for your growth groups and individuals that you can download from the website. It begins, verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, messengers and leaders of the early Christian movement, they're writing to the church in Philippi. It's a letter written nearly 2,000 years ago, but a letter that is part of scripture. A letter addressed to a church in northern Greece in the middle of the first century, but it's also a letter written to a church in southern Australia in the middle of the 21st century, as well as God's people in every time and place. God's word to his people. It's an ancient letter that addresses issues that we face today. Now, I think it's fair to say that we like to look at the future with a sense of hope. We have dreams of what our future might look like. And if we have hope for the future it so often translates to a sense of security in the present. If we're confident that we will arrive at our destination and at somewhere we want to get to, we have peace and security in the here and the now. Our hope for the future transforms our life in the present. But that confidence, that hope has taken a bit of a battering recently Our world and society are in a spin, and this affects us personally as well. The COVID-19 pandemic dominates the headlines, and that's just distracted us from the other challenges we face. Climate change, resource shortages, military tensions between nations. Many are wondering what a post-COVID society might even look like as we pay back $192 billion that our government has spent to protect us from the virus? How will business restart? How will the economy get back to something like normal? How will this affect me and my family and those I love and care about now and into the future? Then there are the persistent social and economic challenges that were there before COVID and they will be there afterwards. All of these things and more are for many dark clouds hanging over the horizon of the future. And then on the personal front, we're challenged by issues of health and well-being, relationships and employment, as well as the age-old challenge of goals that we struggle to meet, bad habits that we can't kick, ambitions that we fail to realise. I think it may be fair to say that hope is in short supply. Many, especially at the moment, are feeling overwhelmed, anxious and fearful. We feel the pressure. We struggle to find hope for the future and we long for that sense of peace and security in the here and the now. Now, our passage from the letter to Philippians, will see God's answer and Mandy's going to read for us now.
1: Hi, I'm Mandy, and I'll be doing the Bible reading for us today. It comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. But before I begin, let me just say a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and minds to hear and obey your precious word. Amen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, That your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
0: Now I have three points for this sermon. The sovereignty of grace, the signs of grace, and the security of grace. Number one, the sovereignty of grace. Now from the very first page, the Bible clearly teaches us that God is in control. He commands the creation into existence. Let there be. One of the favorite titles used for God by the Old Testament prophets is Sovereign Lord. God is seated on the throne. He is the God who reigns, whether guiding the paths of nations or individuals, everything is seen as being under his sovereign control. Now, the focus of our passage from Philippians this morning is more towards the personal, not so much the national and international. His work in our lives, in the lives of his people, and not so much his work in guiding history. But these are just different arenas for God's sovereign control. It's the same God who is over the personal details of our lives who directs the unfolding of history. It's a great time to be reminded of that fact. Now the prophet Isaiah proclaims, he says, Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And yet Jesus speaks of the same God. Are not two sparrows the least of birds sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Here in our passage this morning, Paul speaks of the sovereign Lord's fatherly care in the lives of his people. And in verse 6, Paul expresses utter confidence that the one who began a good work in them will carry it on to the day of completion. They'll carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Their future is guaranteed. What is this good work? Now, firstly, it's worth asking, what is it not Now, our society, when it dreams, dreams of the future, dreams, material dreams. We might all sing along with Madonna. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl or boy in this case. We're a culture that pitches our hopes for the future in terms of the physical comfort, experience, pleasure. Now, these are good things, but they're not what Paul nor the Bible as a whole sees as the ultimate good. Let me stress, our dreams as a culture don't line up with God's picture. God is not laboring to make us comfortable. So what is his good work? It's taking those who are dead in their sins and bringing them to the fullness of life through the perfect finished work of Christ. It is the work of recreating broken people to reflect the image of the Lord Jesus. It is the task of bringing us to know and experience the fullness of blessing with which he has blessed us through Christ. The riches of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. And it began before we even came to put our trust in him through the gospel of grace. It is God who grants us the very faith that we need to trust us. He brought the dead to life. He washed the defiled clean. He brought the prodigal home. That's what it means to talk of God's sovereign grace. It is he who even leads us to want to come home. A couple of hundred years ago, a guy by the name of Josiah Conda express this truth in a hymn called My Lord, I did not choose you. Let me read the first few lines for you. My Lord, I did not choose you, for that could never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. If you are a Christian, Philippians 1 is telling you if you've put your trust in God through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's because God, the sovereign Lord, took the initiative. Now, some find this particular teaching difficult because we can remember a time when we chose to put our trust in God. Perhaps someone challenged you to decide whether you wanted to become a Christian and you made a choice. So when Paul speaks of the sovereignty of God's grace in bringing us to faith, we find it confusing. Surely this was our choice, not his. I can remember where I was and when it was that I came to put my trust in God. However, we must recognise that our experience is only capable of perceiving one side of this relationship. And here God is drawing back the curtain And he's showing us the complete picture. This passage is teaching us that salvation is the sovereign Lord's work from beginning to end. Our response is made possible because of his work of regeneration, bringing life out of spiritual death. It's as if he asked you to dance and you, by his grace, responded. The initiative is his and it is his spirit who leads our hearts to respond, yes, I would love to. Or as in C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, when the Christ figure Aslan says to Jill Pole, who has been calling out to him. He says, you would not have been calling to me unless I had been calling to you. And this is why Paul is so confident It's God's work. The sovereign Lord began a work and by his power, he will bring it to completion. It is his work completed by his power to arrive at his goal. The goal that Paul sees is the incredible vision of verses 10 and 11, that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And Paul is 100% confident that the one who began this work is the one who will finish it. It is God's work from beginning to end. Now, this is really important. We are not saved by grace and then remain and grow by works. It is in by grace, continue by grace and finish by grace. It is grace from first to last. And this gives incredible security. We see this, that Paul doesn't try to exhort the Philippians to try harder to pull themselves together so they might reach the goal. What does he do? He prays for them. And he asks God to bring God's work to its completion. This is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best. Let's unpack this a bit. What does he mean? Firstly, we need to note that the love for which he prays is love that is already there. At conversion, the seed has been planted and it has sprouted and now it needs to grow to maturity. Secondly, what is a love that is growing in knowledge and insight? Now, Paul is teaching us that Christianity is not just heart without head, you know, all emotion, all overflow of excitement. He's not telling us that it's all head without heart, all cerebral and rational. He's telling us that our relationship with God is founded in knowledge, but it has that emotional aspect. He's praying that their love might grow. Let me illustrate When two people meet and fall in love, there's this attraction, there's a burst of emotion. But if this love is truly going to grow, it will only do so if they learn more of each other that is lovely. The love will grow as it abounds in knowledge. This is profoundly relational. It's not academic. And its consequences are obvious that we may be able to discern what is best. Loving God, knowing him truly means we can choose what pleases him, which in turn is what is best. Now, it's worth noting that in other places in this letter and elsewhere, Paul does exhort them to to work hard, to strive, to uh, grow in Christ. But the foundation upon which this exhortation is built is the unshakable confidence That Paul has in God's future for the Philippians, for himself and also for everyone whose faith is in Christ. Paul is rock solid convinced our future hope is secure. So this raises a few questions. How can you know? Okay, God's got it under control. It's his work and he'll get it done. But it begs the question, how do I know if he's working? How do I know if he's working in me? Is my faith real? You can also flip this issue around. Now, that first question addresses perhaps those who lack the confidence, and this angle addresses those who have perhaps too much. Doesn't it mean, if God's got it all sorted, that I can do whatever I want? It's God's work. What I do doesn't matter. This brings us to our second point: signs of grace. Now, God, like any great artist, he leaves his mark. His fingerprints are all over creation. The effect of his grace is not invisible. He is at work to transform us into the likeness of Christ, and this will be seen. He is working to bring forth in us the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now Paul can see that God's work has begun to transform the Philippians. Paul rejoices in the partnership in the gospel they have from the first day until now. Now this word partnership is a translation of a Greek word that's used to capture the idea of a shared life, a common experience, a shared task and commitment. Now, Paul and the Philippians are not together. They're not side by side. Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, and the church to which he writes is in northern Greece. But they share a common faith and a shared task. So Paul writes in verse 7, Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. You have to love Paul's confidence. This brings us to the question of assurance. Can we be confident like Paul is confident? Can we know that we've been saved? Can we really be secure in God's salvation? Simply, yes. But you must recognise where Paul's confidence lies. It rests in God, in his grace, in his character and power. Our assurance must be based on God's work in Christ and not our performance. It rests on the perfect, finished work of Christ. The one who died in our place, bore the penalty for our sins and rose to new life. We can have assurance, we can have confidence because The Father is perfectly trustworthy and Christ's work is completed. But Paul also refers to evidence in the life of the Philippians. Yes, he does. God's work will leave a trace. But if we look for assurance, it must rest on God. If we look to ourselves, we'll be like the proverbial forget-me-nots. You know, we have a good day, he loves me, a bad day, he loves me not. Our emotional and spiritual life will be up and down like a yo-yo. Now, our actions are not irrelevant, but assurance must rest on God's character and performance, not ours. His hand will be seen in our lives. Yes, there are signs of grace. But it must rest on God. Sometimes we struggle We struggle to see anything of God in our lives. And for some personalities, this is especially true. Now, we can be incredibly helpful to each other here. We can point out evidences of grace to one another. Like Paul does with the Philippians, we can let others know what we thank God for in them. You know, fill in the blank. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because what? Now, we've seen that we can be secure in the presence. We can have assurance because God's perfect future, that we will be perfect in Christ, is guaranteed. It's guaranteed by his power, and the finished work of christ and we see evidence of that in our lives now this brings us to our third point secure in grace and i've asked lauren hull uh, to join me on the couch and we're going to be chatting about what this means in our lives on the ground well just to finish the sermon this morning we've actually uh, I've asked Lauren to come and join us uh, on the couch. Uh, hi, Lauren, uh, and uh, she's just going to help us uh, give, give share some of her thoughts uh, and reflections on what that security we have in Christ means for how we live uh, in the day by day. Uh, so, Lauren, as you as you think about um, the the hope that is ours, the grace that is ours in Christ, uh, and the security that we have um yeah do you want to share some of your thoughts on that
2: as i've been reflecting uh on the grace uh that we've received uh in god um it's challenged me because i realise that i'm so secure in that grace and yet i still uh, look for security uh, in other things i look for security in self uh, and being self-reliant i look for security uh in uh, other stuff in material things um, and that's a real challenge. If I'm so uh, confident in the security uh, I have uh, in God's grace in Christ, why am I looking to other things? And so I took, I took a bit of time to think, well, what are the things that I've actually put my security in other than God? Uh, and I've identified three things for me, uh, house, husband and health. Um, I think I recognise that both because of the world around me, but also the desires of my heart, uh, there are three things that that I tend to uh, put my my longings and my hope on for the future. Uh, but when I dug a bit deeper, I actually realised that uh, all three of those things, uh, my longings for them, actually reveal uh, deeper longings that can only be met in Christ. Uh, so that's quite confronting uh, when I stop to reflect on that. That actually these these things that i put my security in uh, in an earthly sense uh, actually um, they're, they're things that say uh, lauren you need to look to christ because uh, they're things that only uh, can be uh, secure and satisfied um, through god's grace in him
0: so as we think about these things though uh, as we think about uh, the conviction that we have god's word teaches us that god is on the throne Uh, Are there there things that you would encourage us to do, uh, activities uh, that we might spend time in that will help us grow in that conviction, particularly uh, for those who who doubt, for those who who lack that conviction? Are there things that you found helpful or you'd encourage others to do?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, opening God's word uh, has got to be the first place uh, that we go in terms of uh, convictions uh, in our security in God's sovereign grace. Um, I think often uh, we find things to distract us uh, from uh, opening the Bible. Uh, perhaps it's it's just the busyness of life, or perhaps it's just a lack of confidence to know um, where do I start, uh, what do I turn to. And I think what's often surprising when I chat to my students is they don't they don't realise just how easy it is to just jump into God's Word and read it. Um, I've been reflecting on uh, time and time spent in the Bible. Uh, you can actually read a lot of the Bible in a short amount of time. Uh, so, for example, uh, if we were to read the rest of Philippians, uh, we could do that in about 15 minutes. Uh, so it's very easy to, to jump into God's Word um, and to, to allow uh, God, through his Spirit, Uh, to convict us both of his character, but also his work uh, in our lives through Christ for our salvation, uh, just
1: by uh, opening the pages.
0: It's given. God's word is great. I suppose that's probably no surprise to anyone that we would say that. Uh, But uh, are there other places that you look? Uh, Are there other ways that uh, we can be encouraged about how God is at work and how his sovereign grace uh, can be relied
2: upon? I think Paul does this so well uh, in the passage that we've looked at today. Uh, He says uh, to the Philippians, essentially, uh, you can be confident and secure in God's sovereign grace because, look, here is the evidence uh, of it in your life. Uh, So I think for me, one of the ways where I'm always encouraged and and can grow in conviction and confidence is when other people point out the evidence in my life uh, for how God's grace uh, is working in and through me. Um, I think that can be uh, so encouraging.
0: Now, let's just move to a a slightly different uh, topic. We talk about resting in grace. Now, I'm aware that this is perhaps a little bit of a Christian cliche, uh, but it's a term that Jesus himself uses. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, how do you see that work uh, for us day by day? Um, how do we access that rest? How do we, What does it mean to come to Jesus uh, in that term?
2: Um, I think we need to ask him. Um, I think coming to, to God in prayer, um, That's got to be the the first space uh, that we look to for finding that rest, Uh, asking God uh, through his spirit uh, to give us uh, um, comfort uh, in our anxieties, uh, to to, um, be able to come to him with uh, all our needs and requests, uh, but also to come to him with our laments and our sadnesses um, and our confessions and our grief. Um, I think I think rest comes when we can bring all of those things uh, to God, uh, trusting that uh, his his spirit will give them to us.
0: And, and I love the, the prayer of the man with the, the son who needs to be healed, who Jesus tells him that uh, all things are possible if you have faith. And he says, Lord, I believe. Uh, help my unbelief. And I think it's it, it's it's a great prayer that we can come to God and actually say, give us that conviction, give us that thing. Is it just for the personal though? Is it just for the what's concerning me and those immediately around me? Or can we, uh, should we have a scope to our prayers that is much bigger?
2: I think um, I observe in my life, even just in in normal, everyday, non-COVID-19 life, uh, that my prayers can be quite small. Uh, and just be focused on me and the people around me. Um, but I feel even more so at the moment um, in this time of of crisis um, that it can be very easy for my prayers to be quite self-centred. Uh, but I think um, God's vision for the world uh, and God's God's heart and concern for us is for us to, to see outside of ourselves uh, and to pray big prayers, to pray wide prayers, uh, to pray... Pray prayers that look beyond just me, my family, my neighbours but actually to my country, uh, my world uh, and how God can work uh, in all of those situations.
0: Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for joining us and uh, sharing your insights and really do we hope that this is a a springboard uh, for your thoughts and for your conversations in the online space. Uh, You can use our Facebook group or perhaps amongst those that you have watched um, church online with. So thanks for being with us and um, over to the next thing now.